episode number 36 of the Media Narrative Podcast. I'm Rob Hoschel. This is a show featuring media makers, their stories, and their process. It's all about listening. Mm. My dream would be that more people in life would take a minute to listen every day, <laughs> whether it's in sports, politics, religion, or just in the, at the coffee shop and, and pick their faces up from the phone and just listen. Because <laughs> yeah. the art of conversation, it's one of the most delightful things that we do as humans. For people in Boston and beyond, the voice of Jordan Rich is one of the most familiar and appealing around. He's been working in radio for more than 40 years, including stints as both a talk show host and a music DJ. In those roles, he conducted thousands of interviews. He's also done thousands of voiceover spots and other voice work, along with speaking engagements and MC gigs. The man has had quite an impact and career using those golden pipes of his. His podcast, On Mike with Jordan Rich, has featured interviews with voice and radio legends, as well as musicians and actors. He manages to get people to tell really interesting stories on a range of subjects. He also was a voice mentor to me and produced my VO demo, so it was really fun to sit with a true master in the field. Despite all of his accomplishments, Jordan Rich is a very humble and down-to-earth guy. I talked to him recently at one of his studios at his company, Chart Productions. Among the topics he talked about were how hosting a late-night talk show made him a better person, the keys to developing a strong and authentic voice no matter what field you work in, and of course, tips on interviewing. So Jordan Rich, it's so great to be here with you in your studio. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Well, may I say welcome back because you and I have worked together in the past. That's right. You were a voiceover coach to me and recorded my demos, and I so appreciate that. So uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation and seeing what you've been up to. Likewise. We met uh, about 20 years ago at WBZ. I was fortunate enough to be over there one day and met you and Norm Nathan on the same day. I don't know if you remember that, but that was a great day for me in terms of uh, meeting radio heroes. And it just made me think about you and the and your great career. You started working in radio in the seventies, and now you're you're still working in radio. You're doing some work for BZ, but now you're also into podcasting and all sort of you know you're, you're keeping up with everything that's happening. So I'm wondering what you see, perhaps as the commonalities that have always existed in this field. The work going back to the very beginning for you and the work you're doing now 40 years hence, what what's sort of in common about all of this for you? That's a wonderful question, and it's the key to why I'm still doing it and why I'm loving it. And it, it all boils down to the human element. Um, but thankfully, with the technology, it's enabled not just people like me, but people like you and everyone else who's got some skill sets to do basically to do radio to do to be a broadcaster in a different sense yeah. but no what what's the same then is the same now um research homework a dedication to professionalism and an understanding that what we're doing you and I right now is is a form of art mm -hmm. and it's more respected now than it was when i first started <laughs> 
But that's the the beauty of it. It's still the art that is so much fun. I, I recently saw the number of interviews that you've done, and I, it was like in the thousands. Yeah. What, what is the what is that number of interviews? You've well, done uh, estimates are. I would definitely be well over five thousand. I would put it close to wow. ten thousand, and that means the, the short one offs and the two hour pieces. I mean, if you combine them all, I, I never did a a figure on it, but right. it's it's definitely multiple zeros, and uh, I'm, I'm really tickled to do that. Every once in a while, I look back at what I did 10 years ago, and it's remarkable that that was accomplished then and what I'm doing now, which is a a slew of things on a regular basis. We'll take a quick pause now in the interview to hear an excerpt from the Jordan Rich show that was on WBZ in Boston. Jordan gave me this clip of him interviewing actor Anthony Daniels. I find this fascinating. I am sitting here with a terrific gentleman who we've loved for years, but we don't get the chance to talk to him, his alter ego. I'm talking with Anthony Daniels, who of course is the star of all the Star Wars films as C-3PO and is here to talk about Star Wars where Science Meets Imagination at the Museum of Science. Welcome, Sir Anthony. How are you? Oh, I love the Sir Anthony bit. It's, uh, Have you been knighted yet? Uh, not yet. I think it's an oversight. I'm not saying anything. I'm just waiting a little while. If the Queen were to knight you, I suppose metal on metal would be an interesting thing. Right? Well, if it would be up. very, very hard for me to <laughs> kneel down in that costume, i got to tell you. So... Uh, now, how did it all really start for you? How did you really get interested in radio? Did you envision doing interviews early on? What first lit you up about radio? I w- was born in 1958, so that makes me what I am. And <laughs> young I, man, young I man, grew Jordan. up in an era uh, when there were just three or four television stations. We barely had color TV. I think 65 or 66 when that was a big deal. But radio was was the great companion for a little kid late at night in bed. Time to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. I had the little wired uh, headset, or not headset, but earpieces, you know, the white ones with the wax in them based <laughs> on usage, and, yeah. I, and a Radio Shack uh, transistor. Right. And it was mostly AM, and I thought it was magical to hear voices in the night, particularly in the night. So that was one thing. And then I also loved to uh, perform in, in various guises. So I was in high school theater. And when I got to the point to make a decision as to what I wanted to do, I took a look at the reality of the situation and realized, ah, I'd love to be an actor in Hollywood. But that's not likely going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I have a much better shot, since my voice had dropped, to try this <laughs> radio thing because it is theater of the mind. So that was what did it. And I, I proceeded through college and through uh, the early part of my career to land successfully and very luckily, and I've been there ever since. Now, was there somebody on the radio in particular who you were drawn to, who you listened to that inspired you? Yes, and we mentioned one of them prior to, well, actually in the introduction when you talk about Norm Nathan, Mm -hmm. who for those in the New England area, he was 50 years and and counting and was a beloved radio guy, folksy, (laughs) self-deprecating, jazz enthusiast, Mm -hmm. but also people on the national scene now, these are names that may not mean much to some, but Long John, Nebel, uh, Barry Farber. These were talk shows throughout the country uh, in the late night and on big stations that you could pull in. Uh, and then locally, uh, people like Guy Manella, who was a famous sports talk show host mm-hmm. at WBZ in the early 70s. David Brudnoy, uh, who became friends at later in, in my career. Uh-huh. But these are the kind of people I would listen to. Gene Burns, those I really enjoyed. And, and disc jockeys, too, famous disc jockeys from around the country. And we could pick them up at night. Mm-hmm. Also sports. I listened to baseball games. Yep. and Oh, man. And I, I got it hooked 
when I was a kid also on something that you may be familiar with, Rob, called the CBS Radio Mystery Theater. Mm -mm. Ever hear of that? Okay. CBS in the 1970s resurrected old-time radio. By a gentleman by the name of Hyman Brown, who was a producer in the 40s, came back and produced these amazing hour-long dramas with current actors at the time, Fred Gwynn, uh, E.G. Marshall. This was current at the time. Yeah, right. I was Fred hooked. Gwynn was uh, Herman Munster, That's for right. anybody who doesn't know. Uh, I was absolutely hooked and have been hooked ever since. Right. So, you know, one of the things I always admired about you, I'd, I grew up in Philadelphia, so I didn't hear you and Norm when I was a little kid. But when I moved to Boston in the late 80s, I started to hear you both. And the thing that I always – one of the things that really stood out for me about you and your overnight show that you did on BZ was this sort of geniality that you brought to it, which which is evident just sitting here talking to you. You're a very nice, friendly guy. And on that show – you would sometimes take calls in the middle of the night from, as I've heard you put it, kooks or people who were lonely maybe or just wanted someone to talk to and they and they loved being a part of your community. You were such a good listener and always there to make everyone feel like they were valued and a part of this conversation. And and I saw a connection to the way Norm did things as well. That was something that Norm, I thought, really Norm Nathan did as well. So I'm wondering about that. If you can talk about how you develop that ability to sit there in the middle of the night by yourself, take people on, uh, take calls, and sort of meet them where they are, and create a show that anyone would be interested in because we don't hear as much of that, I don't think, anymore on the radio. That's true, Rob. And I want to credit Norm for not consciously being my mentor, but <laughs> for for uh, taking a look at how he did what he did and how he affected people. Um, we all know that the, the climate today and even the climate 30 years ago on air, in media, is combative. That's a yep. big part of it. And that's fine. But there is a place – for that, and maybe there's a place for less of that in the particular time slot that I had. But I will say this, and I talk to groups all the time about this: the show changed me. I was always a nice dude. I'm, I'm very casual, laid back. But right. the show, and and talking to people, and really listening to their their pain or their joy or their gratitude or whatever it might be, brought out. And, and savored that empathy gene in me. It, it gave energy to that, made me a better person. Not great, not perfect by any mm-hmm. means, but a better person because I was, I all of a sudden became less judgmental. And one of the things that I realized was, hey, if they're going to share with me and be as open with me, a, mm-hmm. a complete stranger, then I will share with them. So I shared with the audience over my many years in radio my highs, which were more than lows, and and my lows, and mm-hmm. that sense of connection grew to 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 be what it is even today a bond that I have with listeners, yeah. certain listeners, and it's just a a, I, a gift I can't imagine not ever receiving. It just mm-hmm. means so much to me. Well, and and I, you touch on something that I think is one of the keys to good radio and good podcasting, and that is when the people on the air are themselves, you know, they are their authentic selves. And that is not the easiest thing to learn how to do. I mean, I started working in commercial radio and trying to do, you know, I worked so hard just to say W properly right. and and focus on things that didn't really have to do with the sort of personal expression. Um, did you ever go through a phase like that? I mean, where uh, you had to sort of evolve out of what you thought radio should be into Jordan Rich the person just it, doing yes, his thing. Yes, I think everyone uh, needs time to 
understand that, wow, you're in the middle of this this cauldron of power where you're sitting in a studio and literally thousands or hundreds of thousands are listening at one time. Mm. But with me, it was a little different. I didn't start out as the the DJ that I wanted to be. I really wanted to be that that guy. Mm-hmm. But because I didn't start out, even in college, I got stuck stuck. I volunteered to do the classical show as opposed uh-huh. to the jocks who were having a rocking good time playing, you know, Love Will Keep Us Together in 1976. <laughs> but um, what I did was I did that. And then my first radio job was something I was totally unprepared for. I was asked to be the weather reporter, not mm. the weather analyst, not the meteorologist, because I'm not. A guy would sit down in a little closet at the National Weather Bureau and report on what the scientists across the hall were doing. Ah. Very strange, very mm-hmm. new. And I thought to myself, I, I'm, I'm 19 years old. I'm not going to try to fool them to think that I'm this, but I'll just have fun. And because I had fun and because I didn't try to be anything I wasn't, it just sort of naturally developed my personality. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's changed over the years. I would say that the um, the difference between doing a morning show on a music station for 15 years as I did uh, adult contemporary, talking to adult audience, it's different than talking to people mm. without music all night. Right. But overall, um, yeah, I could have fallen into the, hey, that trap yeah. there. And I listened to some of my old <laughs> commercials and I thought, oh my God, how did I ever get that through the mix? How right. did I ever pass muster with that? But Well, and, and you just mentioned the fact that for years you hosted a music show in Boston and for years you hosted a talk show in Boston. I don't know how common that is either. And that was something you and Ty Irwin talked about in one of your podcasts, this sort of hybrid idea to mixing music and talk. And I have this music show now in Boston. I think about how I can make that more an expression of who I am, a little bit of talk, a little bit of music. What made um, you the kind of person who could sort of operate in both of those worlds? I mean, you you studied music uh, and you had the love of music, but they're, they're sort of different things, hosting a music show and hosting a talk show. Well, that's a great point you bring up. And uh, to me, it's all about being a broadcaster. And I was taught from some wonderful mentors to be able to handle a lot of things. The term broad in broadcasting means just that. So because my interests in things were at a point where I was very capable of conversing with almost anybody, I would do that on my music show. We'd have guests come in. Mm-hmm. I'd love that. That was my yeah. favorite thing. But um, I would say, even though I did the music thing and I did it well for many years, my passion was really in the communication, the talking, the the, the, the interviewing. Mm-hmm. So when I flipped over to talk, it was a natural for me. Actually, <laughs> if you go back to my college days, I was public affairs director at this radio station. And I was the guy who did all the interviews and did all the community stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I just really, it lit my fire. And uh, yeah. so that was a natural. But I will say that today, um, the biggest issue that I have with, with the training that's going on is not the technical training of young people in the mm-hmm. business. Because you can turn somebody into a pro at uh, editing online or or cracking a mic and talking up records, but it's advising people and suggesting to people that they become uh, sort of 
skilled in, in what I call the frame of reference. Hmm. Know a little bit about a lot of things. Be curious. It makes you a great broadcaster. Mm -hmm. As you, it's making you a better podcaster. Right. So you're saying just sort of going into it with a curiosity about the world, a willingness to understand and share knowledge as you're broadcasting. Well, you mentioned a few minutes ago when you asked the question, uh, yeah, I was lucky enough and have been lucky enough to be in one place. Mm -hmm. Very rare, I found out later, <laughs> to be in one market and to be able to do all these things. So just to give you an example, when I was working uh, at the FM station, it was WSSH at the time, back in the 80s and 90s, when it ended in 96, and I was technically out of work, although I had my own production company, when it ended... Mm. Uh, for six months, I couldn't get, as they say, arrested. I, no one in the music field, which is what I tried for, wanted to touch me. They, they liked me. They, they knew what I could do. But, you know, I was associated with this other thing. And then I stumbled into the BZ thing mm -hmm. absolutely by accident. And it was a, a beautiful gift. But that's, yeah. that's the way it is. They, they, people put you into these these boxes right. and to break out is not easy. I was very lucky to break out. Yeah. And so are the rest of us to uh, have oh, been in the you. audience. 5,000 interviews, I believe you said you've done some, something like that. So would you say you have a philosophy to interviewing or a general approach that you use, whether it's what you're doing now or when you were doing interviews 20 or 30 years ago? Well, um, first of all, let me compliment you on your style already. I'm impressed and I'm happy to be here because <laughs> I, I knew that I knew that you would do what I do and that's do a little bit of homework. And right. <laughs> knowing you don't have to, you don't want to know all the answers, but you, you want to know what questions will prompt decent, interesting answers. Mm. Um, I think my philosophy is, is one that I've learned from the greats and I'm going even beyond people in my personal life. The, the David Susskind's, uh, these are these are interviewers on TV from the way back. Any of the sixty minutes style, which are hard edge interviews, um, even even the David Letterman show he's doing now on Netflix. Mm -hmm. The idea of hey, this is a conversation. I'm not reading questions from a sheet and expecting an answer, and then when that answer doesn't come in, I'm not able to to jump in and and ad lib. This right. is a conversation between two intelligent forces who want to share. Mm. We want to share something. Now, my style is not abrasive or combative. My style is friendly and informational mm. and, and even inspirational. I want to get people to feel good. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, that's it. Do your homework. Always do your homework. Mm -hmm. And and remember, uh, sometimes there is no easy answer to a question. Sometimes you, you avoid getting into a particular area with somebody because you really mm -hmm. want to keep them occupied on, on things that are important. I just think in general, it's, it's developing rapport with someone right. instantly Yeah, after researching them. Yeah. And uh, that makes so much sense. Thank you for breaking that down. And it, you know, the thing, you just always sound like you're listening very carefully uh, and you're in the moment with everybody when, when you're talking to them. And it's great to have, a, you know, you're up to almost a hundred episodes now on your podcast. Congratulations. As on we that. record this, it'll be a hundred. <laughs> and the podcast is just an out, outgrowth of what I've been doing for decades. And it's so much fun as, yeah. as you know, to, to meet to reach out to people, first of all, and to say, Hey, you want to do it? And they right. say, yes, <laughs> but also to, to connect with that, that person. And, and you said it, it's all about listening. Mm. My dream would be that more people in life would take a minute to listen mm. every day, <laughs> mm -hmm. no whether it's in sports, politics, mm -hmm. religion, 
or just in the at the coffee shop and and pick their faces up from the phone <laughs> and just listen because yeah. the art of conversation it's one of the most delightful things that we do as humans and mm-hmm. and I think we want to both of us you yeah. and I want to keep this art alive. Absolutely. Yes. Could not agree more with that, Jordan. So, you know, one of the things that's interesting about your podcast that I really connect to is, is, uh, and in a way I see similar to my podcast in that my frame is media makers. Your frame is the voice people who work in voiceover, work in radio, but it's sort of evolved over time. You've got musicians, Keith Lockhart was on there, the great conductor. You've had actors like uh, Marion Ross on there and and uh, musicians. Um, so I'm wondering how you managed to sort of have that thing expand like that um, and still have it feel like it's a cohesive, single-minded podcast. Because honestly, sometimes I struggle with that because I'm, I'm touching on so many different topics in my podcast. But you, it's really got a unified feeling what you're doing. Well, you, thank you. And, and it did start out as a particular bent would be the voice. I teach voiceover. I do it. And so my first 10 or 15 shows were with some of the finest voiceover talent in the world. Mm-hmm. And then I realized okay, I, I'm getting requests to do other things that are kind of related. And here's a little uh, hint. Everyone has a voice. <laughs> <laughs> and I decided, you know, I've had so many amazing people that I've interviewed on the air that I'd like to bring back to the podcast after many years. And as long as it's somehow related to creativity, whether mm-hmm. it be writing, uh, publishing, directing, producing, anything that has to do with the creative arts or the creative art forms, is close enough. And just by sheer coincidence, if not anything else, I've got people coming back over and over again who happen to be voice artists as well. So it's just a nice niche. As far mm-hmm. as you're concerned, I, I love what you're doing because it, it does have a big umbrella. Right. And and podcasts, unlike radio formatted shows, you don't have somebody standing over you yeah. saying, you can't do that. The consultant didn't. Right. It doesn't work that way. We're not dealing with ratings. We're dealing yeah. with our audience that we continue to grow. So I say, have at it, Rob. You're, you're doing exactly what you should be doing. Great, Jordan. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, you know, when you look at this podcast uh, of yours, um, what have you learned uh, either about the art of voiceover that you would distill for folks? Like if you were to write a, a, a book about voiceover or about working with one's voice from these interviews that you've done, are there any sort of key points that come to mind that you would share? That's so interesting. You bring it up and present it that way because my it, my insight has grown thanks to the people I've had on. I mean, I'm a little selfish. I'm doing a lot of this for myself. Yeah, right. As well, we, and by the way, we should say you you mentioned five thousand interviews. You've done how many voice uh, pieces of voiceover oh, work? Oh, that's your that's ten times as many. I can't <laughs> even count. But but no, uh, there have been very many. Um, shall we say, uh, standard operating procedure things that I've already known and that people know, but it's just the way they're told to me and that then told to the audience. But I would say overall, the key nugget that I've picked up is something that I I thought about but never really put into words, and that is just like the interviewing uh, process, the voice over success comes from the ability to hear your own voice. Mm. I have a a new shtick that I don't think I had when I 
talk to you, but I tell people, I want you to fall in love, have a love affair with your voice. And they say, wait a minute, you want to turn me into an egomaniac? No. I want you to recognize your voice and be able to do things that maybe not to the extent that everyone at the top can do, but you can do so much more with it. So that's Mm -hmm. one thing Mm -hmm. that I've really learned. I've also learned from some top name professionals, uh, people who are doing national work that, and this is something we all have to learn over and over again, that rejection is a big part of everybody's life. Absolutely. Every star, every actor, everybody who you see who's successful is for every hit role, they've had 10 rejections. Mm-hmm. Same thing with VO. Um, and, and of course, one more point that we should make, and I'll share this, is this is an industry that's opening up to everyone because the technology is so universally accepted and understood. Yeah, true. So the way we market and the way we go after work, uh, you yourself were telling me you're, mm-hmm. you're involved and you can do it now from your own home studio, which right. is the way it is. So mm-hmm. it's a remarkably interesting changing flux kind of thing. We'll pause the interview one more time to give you a taste of Jordan's voiceover work. Aerotech Recruiting and Staffing is hiring over 800 positions in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Contract to hire or direct placement jobs are available. Hi, Jordan Rich here. And did you know that podcasting is free and easy? It's just like having an on... In one of these interviews I heard you do, I heard you do a, a appear on somebody else's podcast, Fred Fries, I believe was his name. Fred Fries, the son, well, actually, uh, yes, the son of Fred Fries. The son of Fred Fries, okay. And, and Fred Fries was the famous, hugely famous announcer. Uh, if you go to Disney, you hear him do the, the Haunted Mansion. I mean, that's a silly little thing, <laughs> yeah. but cartoons and narrations. Anyway, go yeah. ahead. So in that interview, you mentioned something that I had been thinking about. When I hear that somebody's done 5,000 interviews, because I've started to think about this myself, I've done probably hundreds. Have you thought about putting a book together that uh, like a compilation of interviews or s- some sort of piece of writing. And then in this interview, you said you were thinking of doing a memoir about w- working in radio and working in voiceover. So I was wondering where that's at now. You oh. even mentioned a title for the book at the time. First of all, I've interviewed thousands of authors, truly. And I have so much respect for anyone, anyone who gets a book published, whether it's indie or, or name publishing. Mm-hmm. That is such an undertaking, yeah. Rob. Uh, have you ever done it? I have not published a book. I mean, I've worked as a journalist. I've written some things, and I've worked on a long piece of writing. But yes, I agree. It's daunting. It is a huge, huge deal. One of my favorite authors is a gentleman named William Martin, who is from this area, and he's written several bestsellers, Cape Cod, Beacon Hill, et cetera, et cetera. And man, he puts out a book. It's 600 pages (laughs) of huge, detailed and footnotes. But uh, to answer your question, uh, I still have it in my mind to – do something. I'm not looking to sell tons of copies. I'm looking to create, and I think most people are in their own way, some kind of a lasting legacy, if not for anybody else, then for my kids and grandkids mm-hmm. and so forth. Because what you're doing and what I'm doing, this stuff is now forever out yeah. there. Yeah. Long after we're gone, this these images or these, these audio images are going right. to remain – Which is kind of a cool thing. It it really is. is. So I'm thinking about something uh, that would at least highlight some of that. And actually, uh, I want to say thank you in advance to iHeart, which is the the monster company we Mm -hmm. work for now at BZ, because they've offered me an opportunity to take many of my 
interviews from the Late Show, which is numbers in the thousands, and do a you know sort of the best of mm. retrospective. So, wait, what I could do on this new podcast, hopefully soon, is on the iHeart platform launch. Hey, in nineteen. 19- 99. Mm-hmm. I interviewed Arthur C. Clarke, who wrote 2001, and here's what he had to say then. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing I'm really excited about. I don't know about a book if, if that's in me, although I do gotcha. have friends who are good at uh, assisting people who don't think they can write a book. <laughs> <laughs> good to have friends like that. Good for to sure. have friends in high places. Well, yeah, and you just mentioned uh, you know, your BZ interviews. In fact, in your podcast, you already have had a BZ interview. Uh, comic book artist Stan Lee, for anybody who's interested in that, listening to this, go to Jordan's podcast and oh. listen to that interview with Stan Lee. It was really cool. My, my inspiration for that was when he passed. Yeah. Uh, I was so touched because he was getting so many accolades. And I just wanted to share a short conversation with him. And I don't know if you noticed when you were in my office, but on my wall, this is how geeky I am. I have two in a frame, two handwritten letters from Stan on Spider-Man stationery, <laughs> which to me is worth gold. Yeah. But yeah, I, I didn't want to – I that was the only one I've done from that era. Mm. Uh, and – Hopefully this new podcast will enable me to recycle some of the other ones. One thing I want to make sure I ask about before we close is Chart Productions. This business of yours, which you and Ken and Carberry have Mm -hmm. uh, been running for all these years, what about the entrepreneurial aspect of all of this? I mean, has there always been an entrepreneurial aspect to the work that you've done in general? How does it manifest these days? It, I mean, it's you've been. How, when did you found this? Nineteen eighty. So it's wow. coming up on officially coming up on forty years. But we've been together since seventy six in college. Mm. And yes, I, I don't. I, <laughs> I say entrepreneur. I think wow. I, I'm a CEO and I drive a. <laughs> Alexis, no. Uh, I do drive a Lexus, but it's an old one. <laughs> right. Um, we each, both of us, really enjoyed the creative process and wanted to do stuff on our own independently. And we never thought it would develop into a 40-year-long affair, uh, relationship. I almost said affair. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> relationship. But it has. And it's over the years, you know, we've never been in it for huge amounts of, of material payback. It's not about that. It's about doing the work, enjoying each other's company, enjoying the clients, and being creative. Mm-hmm. And and also, quite frankly, I haven't needed to work on the air. I've worked on the air because I've mm-hmm. wanted to, which is a great luxury not many people have. So if I had lost a job, let's say, in 1996, as I did, who knows? I might have gone mm-hmm. to Iowa uh, or California or tried something else or might be doing aluminum siding. Not that there's <laughs> anything wrong with that. Right. This has afforded me a chance to stay in. And now, as you and I talk, I'm having the time of my life because the podcast boom has created yeah. a whole new venture for us right. to help people produce podcasts. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's given me a lot of hope about the future. What about you? Where do you see this all going for yourself? Uh, you know, what, what, what's sort of next on the plate for you, Jordan? Well, the fact that every month we're picking up more and more small business opportunities to help people with their podcasts and what's happening a lot of people are doing podcasts. You're doing yours very effectively, but a lot of people don't have your skill sets or mine. So they're asking people like me and hopefully people like you, mm-hmm. hey, can you host and produce this podcast with us or can you clean it up? Or, so that's become 
the biggest growth market ever. I mm. mean, even bigger than voiceover when it was in its heyday. So I just want to do more of this. I'm also doing uh, a, a, a joy for me and a thrill is doing audiobooks. And mm. I always relish the idea of of acting and doing act. So I've I've been we've been on an audiobook kick. I've got uh, just completed my third uh in a series, a detective series uh-huh. and we've got another one that's uh historical fiction that somebody else recorded here. So that's also Oh, that's exciting. great. And you record those right here in this studio. Yeah, we record them here at uh we're in Braintree Mass outside of Boston and uh do a lot of stuff. Now, when you first started doing that, w- did you have to sort of develop some skills in a different way, or did you have to sort of change the way you do things normally for other? Well, types? I I credit my partner Kenny with being the the technical guy, the the Scotty of the enterprise to build the studios, literally, but also to to he knew about editing and taught me everything I know. Mm. But it's like anything else. If you do it every day and you get comfortable with it, I mean, a lot of it is in the writing. A lot of it is in the presentation. A lot of it is in the preparation. But uh, working in a studio, as geeky as that sounds, is is therapy for me. I love right. it. One thing, last thing I want to ask you, and and then we'll wrap this up, is, is where you – consume media these days? What is your sort of media consumption life, whether it's reading print newspaper or listening to the radio? How do you take in media in all its forms these days? Well, I am happy to say I still listen to the radio Uh and radio numbers overall nationwide are still exceedingly strong. It's, you're not listening necessarily on a transistor at home. You're listening on your phone, you're listening on streaming, etc. I am a podcast fan. I'm of the geekiest in nature, I listen to things that very few in my age range would listen mm-hmm, to. Yeah. There's certain comics I love, uh-huh. uh, certain sci-fi, certain uh, movie genre things. I just think it's a gas to be able to tune in when I want. And as far as newspapers and uh, and uh, news sources, I've always been a guy who's just wanted to check out various sources. I'm not mm-hmm. a news junkie. I don't have to read the paper, but I don't read just one. I try to jump around because as you know news is entertainment now so you have to you have to call through absolutely see what's out there well listen thank you for entertaining all of us and informing and inspiring people through the radio and the podcast all these years it's been great to just sort of be in your listenership and to get this opportunity to talk to you and i want to say how excited i was when you called me because i i knew you from the time we worked together uh we hadn't been in touch for a while Mm -hmm. the podcasts are terrific way for guys like us to get back together and i am exceedingly proud and very very pleased with your your work i mean you really knocked it out of the park as far as i'm concerned well thank you jordan couldn't have done without you learn more about jordan rich and his work at jordanrich.com this episode was edited and mixed by isaac kotecki matt jensen composed and recorded the theme music Subscribe to the Media Narrative podcast and newsletter at themedianarrative.com. I'm Rob Hoschel. Thank you so much for listening.